0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Dally. Our guest this week is Illinois 17th District Representative Sherry Bustos. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. The American Sugar Alliance is working toward a global subsidy ceasefire. Learn more about the Zero for Zero plan at SugarAlliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Congresswoman Sherry Bustos next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. And they know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. Their plan is called the Zero for Zero Sugar Policy, and you can learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. In her fourth term representing the 17th District of Illinois, Sherry Bustos is a voice for farmers on the House Agriculture Committee and on appropriations. Bustos is attempting to keep agriculture seated at the table on climate debate and is very concerned about the Trump administration's foreign trade policy. She agrees that China's a bad trade partner, but says the trade war is hurting farmers in her district.
1: Look, I have 9,600 farms in my congressional district to, that I'm fortunate enough to serve. And it is ag that is the biggest economic driver, not just in my congressional district, but in the entire state of Illinois. So I agree, China's a bad actor. They, they steal our intellectual property at every opportunity that they have. They have been labeled currency manipulators. And, yes, we do have to deal with that, but it seems that this has been disproportionately heaved upon our, our family farmers and the ag industry. If I could uh, remind your listeners to go back when uh, Donald Trump was candidate Trump, he was standing in the, the city of Des Moines and very forcefully saying that how when he was elected, he was going to end the war on the American farmer. And I guess I would ask anybody listening to your program, if, if they believe that President Trump has ended the war on the American farmer.
0: With regard to the administration's support during this period, MFP po- program last year and then planned again for this year to the tune of about uh, close to $28 billion, uh, the White House has said that that would make farmers whole. Will that make farmers whole?
1: Well, again, I think anybody listening to this who's a, as a grower or producer would give a resounding, no, it's not going to make farmers whole. Absolutely not. And, uh, you know, they are uh, clever enough to use uh, nice rhyming words uh, when they say, we want trade, not aid. You know, I, I heard that at the, at the start of all of this, uh, the, these trade wars. Um, went to a family farm in the northern part of our district, and, and actually there was a woman who painted on the side of her barn we want trade not aid so no this isn't going to make our our growers and our producers whole but uh, um, you know I I certainly uh, support that there's got to be some kind of aid when you're when we're in a trade war with our biggest agricultural trading partners we can't just sit back and do nothing Um, Jeff a little bit of a further background I'm a Democrat and I'm proud of that I also get the Farm Bureau endorsement I also serve in a congressional district that Donald Trump won and uh, the people that I represent have an expectation that uh, you work together, doesn't matter what your party label is, and that you get something done. And what is going on right now with the MFP, um, it's it it, It's not right. And um, President Trump is not working with us on any of these trade issues. These are unilateral decisions when it comes to the, the tariffs he is hoisting on, um, again, our biggest agricultural trading partners. And, and I, again, I think your listeners are smart enough to know that tariffs are, um, what we pay for. Um, so not only do we lose our, our agricultural trading partners, but then we as Americans pay those tariffs. It is, it is, um, it is simple as that.
0: What are your hopes for USMCA when the Congress returns?
1: Well, I, I, again, I'm going to give you a little context that I think is important uh, for, for that question. Uh, last week in uh, Springfield, Illinois, uh, we had Ag Day at the Illinois State Fair. I, I go to that every year. And the following day, we have what's called Governor's Day. And so whatever party the governor is in, then it is, you know, that party gets together with, um, with different folks. And since Governor Pritzker, a Democrat, is, is the governor of the state of Illinois now, we had a, a huge Democratic event with more than 3,000 people attending, and the keynote speaker was Speaker Nancy Pelosi. What she was kind enough to do, I made a personal ask of her if she would sit down with the president of the Farm Bureau and uh, the folks who represent the the uh, free trade group that's traveling all over the all over the country and um, you know promoting USMCA. And so we sat down with a very small meeting. It was just the speaker and I, and um, eight folks who represent the ag, um, the family farmers mostly, and the, the free trade. Um, and so we we did not invite the press, and we just sat down for a conversation. But I'm happy to share the highlights of it, which is um, she is the speaker of the house said that uh, she wants to get to a yes, and she wants uh, both Democrats and Republicans to be able to get to a yes. She had high praises for the Trade Ambassador Lighthizer, saying that they are in regular communication, that uh, right now there are a handful of disagreements, none of which are insurmountable, to make sure that we get uh, as part of the agreement so we can get to a yes. And I think that was the, that's kind of the overview of what's happening. We go back in session after Labor Day, and I think those conversations will, will continue to um advance and and I'm hoping that we'll have a vote sooner rather than later and we and we can pass this
0: talking out loud and looking over our shoulder in the 16 presidential race it was fashionable for either candidate to be opposed to trade agreements and to discourage some conversation about trade agreements that had been in place do you think that will be a campaign issue as we race again for the white house
1: well i i hope that before we get to any of our primaries which will be early in in 2020 I hope that we passed USMCA, and it's a, it, it's a done deal. Look, since Democrats are in the majority in the House and Republicans in the Senate, this is going to have to be something that we can all get on board with. You know, if you look at the history of the Democratic Party, it believes in fighting for working men and women. So this agreement, um, while we want to make sure that we are doing everything we can to help our ag economy, we also want to make sure that working men and women aren't left behind. And so I, I think as long as that is included in this agreement, and I can tell you that uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi is not going to bring this up for a vote until we have assurances, and I think this is very important to our overall economy, that we're not going to see what happened in NAFTA, where uh, manufacturing plant after manufacturing plant picked up and left our country uh, to operate in Mexico. So I think that as long as those assurances are part of the USMCA, and and it passes, then I don't th- I don't think this will be a, a major issue. Now we do have um, the Trans-Pacific Partnership that the president pulled out of, which um, I think at some point it will have to be revisited. But um, I you know I, you you don't hear a whole lot of talk about it in, in these debates. But we'll, we'll see where it goes between now and these these primaries and the coming debates. But I certainly hope that we'll be able to pass USMCA and at least that part of it becomes a non-issue.
0: Some analysts have mused that the Chinese may be holding out of striking a deal, hoping that perhaps they might find a Democrat in the White House and that they'd be able to get a a better deal. Do you think it matters from the U.S. perspective who's in the White House and who's in the Congress of of this negotiation?
1: Well, uh, you you know, look, the leadership in China doesn't have to run for election, so they can hold out and do whatever the heck they want. So I'm not sure how much that matters, but... President Trump has made these decisions unilaterally. That is not the style of any actually any previous president. You now, we whether whether you're a Democrat or a Republican in the White House, it's always been a, a trade has come down to a collaborative agreement with Congress and uh whoever sits at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And uh, so I you know, I don't know the answer to that, but I I do know that China's not going to um just um, buckle under uh to to uh you know, the I guess, the over-aggressiveness of uh, President Trump when it comes to these tariffs. Um, Because, again, um, President Xi does not have to, he doesn't have to go in the ballot. You know, he's in there for life. And and so uh, I I just, I think we just need to look at this as our family farmers are hurting right now. Um, We need China as a trading partner. And the longer this goes on, all China has to do is continue to turn to places like Brazil and Argentina, Will uh, take over the market that had been ours, and um, and you know this could this could be something that ha- would have uh, generational effects, and so it, there's real worry, a legitimate worry um, on you know certainly my behalf as someone who sits on the ag committee in the U.S. House of Representatives, and I I know certainly on behalf of our family farmers.
0: In January, a resolution authorized the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. There are 14 members and chaired by uh, Representative Castor of Florida. Uh, There was a lot of attention that was given to a plan called the Green New Deal, which seemed to villainize farmers. You've been working behind the scenes for some time and have come up with a Green New Partnership. What do you like about your plan and what role does agriculture and rural America play in that plan?
1: Well, we call it the Rural Green Partnership, um, and we have been working on this for quite a long time and just released it um, actually uh, well, a week and a half ago. And um, and we submitted this to the Special Committee on the Climate Crisis, so they have a copy of this and we're very excited to have this as part of the dialogue. But um, the, the purpose for um, my office and I working on this is that we want to make sure that rural America has a seat at the table when we're looking at what's going on in the climate. And um, we certainly don't want uh, finger pointing at our family farmers that they are part of the problem rather than that they can be part of the solution. I I don't know a grower or a producer out there that um, does not understand full and well that a healthy earth, is a uh, part of their economic future you know they cannot have um this continued uh, climate chaos that's going on with flooding and drought and um and and these these heavy winds that destroy crops and um, you know our yields are down um all over my congressional district because of what most of which is a is a result of what's happened with uh, mother nature so um this is our way of saying we want to be we want to have a seat at the table and we want to be viewed as part of the solution, not as part of the problem. And um, and, and and we believe we can be. Whether it's anything from um, cover crops to um, to uh, carbon capture to ethanol and biofuels, um, and we just want to make sure that um, you know that the middle part of especially especially Middle America that we're not left out of this conversation. And uh, so I'm very proud of what what we produced. Um, and um, I'm very proud that the, the special committee was, um, you know, was happy to accept this and, and wants that to be part of uh, the overall legislative um, outcome of this committee.
0: Is it okay to have cows in the Rural Green Partnership?
1: It is okay to have cows. You know, <laughs> hey, look, I I got to look at my own family. You know, I I come from a long line of of farmers, and, and my my grandpa and uh, he was a hog farmer. I've got dairy farmers in our family who have Angus farmers. Um, you know, so yeah, absolutely. And, and, hey, you know, I, I think if, um, what's important is, um, you know, we, we, as members of Congress and, you know, whatever we do for a living, we're all a product of our upbringing of, of where we come from. You know, I understand ag because it's my family's backgrounds. So I understand, um, rural America because it is, the, it is the congressional district I represent. And um, so we just want to make sure that um, those who maybe come from a big city and and haven't seen a, a bean field or a cornfield or um, gone to a dairy farm or or a or a hog farm, we want to make sure that they understand that um, that there's a lot of, there's a lot good that is going on, and um, let let's see, and we're not going away. By the way, we are not going away. And so how do we how do we help uh, address this issue that is very very important? Not just to the Midwest or our country, but important to the world,
0: Congresswoman. Knowing your relationship with agriculture, your experience in agriculture, frankly, do you think farmers and ranchers have received adequate credit for the work that they've already done that is helping in this plight?
1: No, and and, and again, I think that um, I want to get away from this finger pointing mentality um, and this, you know, where where we immediately when we're looking for solutions to issues facing us. That we go, we play this blame game, and um, you know. So, so I just think how how you deal with with an issue is you bring people in, you don't push them away, you don't you don't throw up a shield and say we don't want you sitting around the table, we don't want you to be part of this conversation. No, as I said before, I think I, they they deserve a ton of credit, um, and um, and we want to make sure as we move forward and there's new legislative proposals that are out there that we are part of that.
0: Do you see future farm programs that might include a climate sector? I mean, we had Sodbuster and Swampbuster. We've had other elements that encouraged farmers to participate, and in some cases mandated in order to participate in programs. Is this something that finds its way into uh, existing laws and regulations, or does this come from a, a completely new area or, or position of government?
1: Well, nobody wants the federal government to unduly put their thumb on them. So, uh, it, it, the, the, the way to come up with the best solutions is again to sit down and have a conversation. Um, it, it might include incentives for our our growers and our producers to adopt new ways of of um, of growing their crops or. Um, you know, I, I, there, there's, um, I, I would encourage your listeners to actually go to my website. It's, uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not selling anything here, but just to understand what we've put together on our Rural Green Partnership and to offer uh, further ideas. I met with a, a group of folks from um, the uh, Cooperative Extension Service just last week who had some amazing ideas that, that we'll look to incorporate. This is an evolving, this is an evolving document. Um, but, if, but if anybody wants to see it, it's just at my uh, governmental website, which is just gov. And um, I welcome all of the feedback that anybody would have to help make this stronger um, and um, and more meaningful. And that in the end, we have a good product. But you know, the long and short of it is is we've submitted this to the special committee, and legislative ideas will come out of it. I just I hope that they are legislative ideas that will. Um, be more incentivizing to our growers and our producers rather than, you know, force feeding um, ideas on people.
0: Did leadership encourage you to take up this mantle?
1: Nope. Um, I, I did this on my own. It's, uh, it, it was the speaker who formed this special committee to her credit, something that's needed. And, and I'm close to Kathy Castor, the congresswoman out of Florida who's the chair of this. I was just with her um, earlier this week. She was very complimentary. She was on a panel discussion. And it was very complimentary of our rural green partnership in thanking um, me and our office for having this as part of what they will consider as they move forward with, forward with legislative ideas. But uh, again, we are all we're all products of where we come from. It's not like anybody in leadership would um, know that um, you know because of where they come from would know that this is something that is critical. And if you if you look at for instance Democratic House leadership. Um, at the senior levels, I'm the only Midwesterner sitting around the table. I'm in an elected leadership position, and I'm not only the only Midwesterner sitting around that senior leadership table, but I'm also the only Democrat who comes from a Trump-elected district. So I do have a different perspective on this, and um, and I'm proud to be the, the voice on behalf of uh, so many of our growers and producers in our country and uh, certainly from the, the region of the country that I represent
0: Where does coal, or where should coal fit in our concern over climate? It's obviously a part of what has helped to keep electric rates affordable across the the rural sections of the country and across the country for a whole as a matter. But can, can coal survive and this industry survive in our effort toward addressing climate change?
1: Well, we we have to address the the fossil fuels, and and um, and that is why I think um, ethanol and biofuels on the you know the oil end of things is very important. But but as we look at where coal plays into our future, I certainly want to make sure that those who mine our coal and those who work in the coal industry um, are not left behind. You know, look, we 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 can't turn things on a dime. In the climate, nor can we in how we provide um, energy to um, run our our vehicles and, and uh, keep the lights on in our houses and, and keep our manufacturing plants functioning. But whatever it is that we decide, it has to be done collaboratively. And certainly, we do not want to leave behind um, any of our critical workers um, as, as part of this. And so, our Rural Green Partnership also addresses the workforce and making sure that we are treating people respectfully. I don't know the the end answer about how coal will fit in. Um, I'm just one voice, and I want to make sure that those that do work in the coal industry are not left behind in this dialogue.
0: And speaking of renewable fuel, I'd like to offer you the opportunity to suggest your evaluation of the EPA, of the RFS, and these small refinery waivers that have been recently granted.
1: I think it's deplorable what's happening. you know just um, what within the last week, week and a half, the Trump administration gave out 31 of the small refinery waivers. And if you look at these waivers that have been handed out, it's not they are not going to little bitty refineries that might need a little bit of help. They are going to multi-billion dollar oil companies. And so all with all of these refineries that are out there, this is costing the ethanol and biofuels industry billions of gallons of ethanol and biofuels. And I think it, it, it is an abomination of how this this was set up. And um, and, and at a time when our, our yields are down and we are at war with our biggest agricultural trading partners, we need markets to sell um, our, our corn and beans. And we certainly need markets to increase ethanol and biofuels, certainly not reduce them. And I, I just think it's absolutely deplorable what has happened on these waivers that have been handed out like candy on Halloween. It's, uh, th- this, is, this is not following the way these rules were set up. I have seven ethanol and or biofuels plants in the congressional district that I serve in or on the perimeter. And this has been very hurtful to, to that industry.
0: Congresswoman, we want to thank you very much in the middle of a busy schedule back in your district for taking time with us here on Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and you have the last word today.
1: Well, first of all, thank you very much for the opportunity. And um, I I guess I will take the opportunity to say that um, this Rural Green Partnership is something that um, I hope that um, anybody in the ag industry and our, our growers and producers will take a look at and offer your ideas to me. This can be actually an economic boon to our family farmers to be part of the, this dialogue and be, to be part of the solution. Um, I, and I, I also then just want to end by saying thank you to all of our growers and producers who are listening to this. Um, again, I, I come from many generations of family farmers from all different um, perspectives, always from the Midwest, though, by the way. I want to thank everybody who's working so hard and say that I'm here for you. Um, I see myself as, as your voice. As I sit on the um, agriculture committee in the U.S. House of Representatives, and as I sit in a leadership position among House Democrats, I've, I've got your back, and I'm um, I will share uh, the concerns of what are going on, and and I I know that we uh, will have better days ahead, but it's imperative that uh, we work together. And um, you know, I I hope that President Trump, as he goes through the rest of his term, uh, understands that we are a very very important part of the. American economy, and we want to make sure that uh, we are looked after. We're not looking for gifts, but we just want to make sure that we have an opportunity to trade with our biggest agricultural trading countries. When we're healthy, when family farmers are healthy, so often so goes the nation.
0: Our thanks to Illinois 17th District Representative Sherry Bustos, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. The American Sugar Alliance is working toward a global subsidy ceasefire. Learn more about the Zero for Zero plan at SugarAlliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dowling.